This week, Sleep No More, Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hell Bent. Written by Mark Gatiss, Sarah Dollard, Stephen Moffat, and Stephen Moffat. Directed by Justin Malotnikov and Rachel Talele. Sheep do go to heaven, and goats do go to hell. <laughs> listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a polyamorous husband and wife taking a critical and often socio-political look at all eras of Doctor Who. This podcast often contains spoilers, naughty language, and general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat and other adult content. I really hope everyone who listens to this show knows that song. Maybe I'll include a link in the show notes. It's cake. Yeah, making a cake reference here at the very beginning. Big old cake. So welcome. Episode 72, Only Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story. That episode where we decide to talk about four episodes at the same time because two of them we don't really care for. So the whole reason we're doing this is because at the end of Face the Raven, I thought you can't really talk about Face the Raven without knowing what happens afterwards. Yeah. And it turns out it's kind of completely irrelevant in some ways. And I think we're going to get there. And Um, that's why you can't really talk about it until it's over. (laughs) Right. Because it's completely irrelevant. (laughs) So uh, this is going to be, we we are going to kind of uh, get through these fairly quickly, especially a couple of these, which I don't think we really have a lot to say about. But we are going to talk about Sleep No More, Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, and Hellbent all today. And hopefully this episode won't be too incredibly long. I don't know. Let's start with Sleep No More, kind of get this one out of the way. I think that Mark Gatiss really has a soft spot for the whimsy of Doctor Who. And I can appreciate that. This kind of like, you never really know whose perspective you're getting. You never really know exactly what's going on. Uh Um, Unfortunately, it just ended up to be a boring, confusing mishmash of things for me. It's well directed by Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Malotnikov. Um, who also directed Face the Raven. I've seen, there are basically two ways to cover Sleep No More. And the first is to actually sit down and kind of analyze it almost shot for shot. Right. And kind of figure out exactly what's going on. Right. Um, the other is to do what we're going to do, and that is to basically just dismiss it in five minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, my big thing was I realized this was the episode that they made a huge deal about hiring a trans actress for. Bethany Black. Um, who is awesome in the role, by the way. Who is awesome in the role. However, to have your first trans actor on the show, to make a big deal about it, and then have them made into a machine. It's it's a, like a genetic, like a, like, I mean, basically a sub, like a simian kind of intelligence. Subhuman. Not really, and uh, frankly has issues understanding uh, people's sexual desires in a, you know, mature and responsible way. And is responded to as it at least once, all of which would not have really bothered me (laughs) if it was not played by a trans actress um, because of where we are with trans issues today. To be fair, the character is not supposed to be trans. The character is, as I understand it, the character is supposed to be a cis woman. 
Mm-hmm. But it is really disquieting. Um, what I'd recommend people do, honestly, on this is mm-hmm. to uh, listen to the Web of Queer on this episode. Yeah, um, did which they I do just a good listened job? to last year, uh, or last year, last night mm-hmm. before we recorded this. I wanted to make sure to kind of listen to that. Um, I mean, A, they did kind of cover this. They actually have trans people on the show mm-hmm. who kind of talked about it a little bit, or a trans man on the show who talked about it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of dismissed it a little bit. Um, I do think that we could get into it a little bit more. I think it's really interesting because they discussed it, um, they spent 30 minutes discussing it, and probably spent 15 of that just arguing about the details of the plot and what actually happened, <laughs> um, which I think really summarizes my feelings on Sleep No More yeah. pretty well. Um, casting Bethany Black, your first trans person, openly trans person ever to be on the show, mm-hmm. and giving them this role, is a little bit like that, casting your first black man mm-hmm. and having him be the big tough guy mute tough guy and then you know who just beats people to death sort of thing like it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a little it bit play, it plays into stereotypes and uh i mean transphobic stereotypes a bit however as just a character the idea of introducing another kind of human made slave um essentially that could have been interesting if it was the point of the episode um, but again, this is one of those episodes where the plot got puzzle boxy and... This has, it's not even puzzle boxy because there's no puzzle. It's literally like at the end you're told none of this mattered. Mm-hmm. And it's completely pointless. It's just, it's, 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 it's a, it's meant to be a device to scare you for 45 minutes. And it, for me, it doesn't even accomplish that. Um, no. the only other thing I'll say about Bethany Black is apparently she's, um, really fun in real life. Um, there's an interview with her in Doctor Who magazine, apparently. Oh, okay. And she was, uh, she's like a super huge Doctor Who geek and was like asking Mark Gatiss if like, oh, do the events of this connect up with this other thing that's happening in the 38th century and this other story and that sort of thing? And Aww. apparently Mark Gatiss went, I didn't even think of that, you know? So um, apparently she is a huge Doctor Who geek and that's awesome. And um, I hope, I mean, honestly, what I'd love to see is they come back to this universe and bring her back in some way. Or bring, yeah. Um, bring another, you know, because apparently they're they're clone beings or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can you can bring her back easily to, and actually do something with these ideas. Um, this is just a waste. I kind of don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, moving on. It's just as scientifically inaccurate as Kill the Moon, by the way. I did put that scientifically inaccurate with an exclamation point. <laughs> Fair enough. Not expecting it to be any more scientifically <laughs> accurate than anything. I I always love hearing the Sandman song, but I will say I got kind of annoyed that when he sang it as the password to get through the door, mm-hmm. like it was not the correct words because I know the correct words to oh. that song. So it was I kind of I wasn't like even paying that you're much not attention. even. I don't even think Mark Gatiss was paying that close attention. Uh, I will say, if you're interested in a more interesting story about people who don't have any need to sleep, there mm-hmm. is a novel by Nancy Cress that I read many years ago. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, so I'd probably want to revisit it before I could highly recommend it. But um, Beggars in Spain, and then there are kind of a whole series of novels that came after that, mm-hmm. um, which is actually about children who are genetically enhanced to not need to sleep, and all of the kind of benefits and kind of social pariah and the kind mm-hmm. of all that kind of stuff that comes around that, um, which is interesting. Um, there's yeah. a there's a metaphor about capitalism here. Um, yeah, that goes nowhere. Um, found footage, by the way. Um, I think it's completely used here it's way too dark it's jangly it's 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 you can't tell anything that's going on and there's um there's not that much purpose behind its use other than 
to make you unsure of the point of view. I think I would have liked this a lot better had it not been found footage. I don't think the found footage added anything, and I think it's just a distraction from the actual story that's happening. Which isn't really happening. Which isn't really happening, and um, I will say, if you, I, I like the idea of doing a found footage Doctor Who story. Oh, yeah. But you should totally do it on, like, like the Doctor lands in, like, the 1980s, and people have, like, VHS camcorders, mm-hmm. and they're, like, uh, recording him, and it's, like, a bunch of kids or something. Like, basically mashup of In the Forest of the Night. Or in that one part footage. in Love and Monsters, where he blogs about stuff. Yeah, Love and Monsters, you know. The episode that I love and so many people hate, but they will repost that once. We don't need it. We'll cover Love and Monsters and eventually, rant. maybe. But yeah, any more thoughts about Sleep No More before we move on to something more interesting? No. Um, there are other places. I'm trying to avoid things that other people have said. I am um, very happy with the diversity of that episode, but I am also disappointed that it is immediately explained away. Like, oh, the only reason we have... Asian and Indian people is because there's a big earthquake and now they have to work together. Well, it's a tectonic shift, which I don't know is like a political tectonic shift they're trying to imply, or that literally like Japan and India are connected now, which feels like a, uh, like, so China just disappeared off the face of the planet sort of thing. I don't Japan like. Japan just would have. Whoop. I don't. That's not how subduction zones work, you know? Let's just leave it at that. Science! Moving on. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I would love to come back to this world and actually give it to a writer who would do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm the kind of person that, like, ethnically ambiguous space marines um, wandering around and mm-hmm. shooting things is actually something I kind of would like to see. Like, it's kind of fun for me to, mm-hmm. like, those kinds of stories just work for me. But this just kind of felt like a bad video game. And that's all I have to say about Sigma 1. Face the Raven. There's a lot that I like about Face the Raven. Um, I love that Riggsy's back. I love that he's a father and Clara is immediately like intuitive about that. And the doctor shows that he cares by being a jackass, um, which is his standard with Riggsy. Um, I could say is his standard with young black men, but I will move on from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you're talking about Danny Pink and uh, Riggsy. Well, and Mickey. Well, and Mickey, yeah. And he yeah. kind of dismisses him at first. Anyways, uh, that might just yeah. be any Ooh, young man. That's interesting. Yeah, that's I know. interesting. We're moving on from that. Like he I said. He kind of treats Rory the same way, though, right? But Rory's a nurse. Okay, this is definitely a topic we're going to have to come back to in yeah. a future date. Another but, time. Right. I love that Riggsy is smart, that he really understands the situation, that he is a full companion in this episode, uh, because I think he brings a lot to it. I love the little back alley, like, it made me think visually of Diagon Alley a little bit. Oh, yeah, um, people are bringing that up a lot. In yeah, I mean, it's very much like, but I, I have said before, I love the, um, oh, the intergalactic bazaar, bazaar being B-A-Z-A-A-R. <laughs> the bazaar bazaar. The bazaar really. bazaar. Uh, but I love this kind of little community, the way that it protected itself, um, I was happy to see me again, although I get really annoyed that the doctor calls me me when it makes things confusing and is a, like a nice cliffhanger, but every other time refuses to call me me and calls me a shielder. I, I'm not so sure about the queeriness of it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that definitely didn't get brought up again after the woman who lived. I mean, really, the girl who died explores that in some really concrete ways. The woman mm-hmm. who lived kind of extends that a little bit. Um, we really, I was really hoping we were going to bring that back yeah. up again, and I wonder if that's just 
that's you know Jamie Matheson and mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Trendiga mm-hmm. kind of latched had that, onto that latched onto that idea, and then um, ultimately um, Sarah Dollard, who wrote Fear and Face the Raven, just kind of didn't just make. It's entirely possible that that element wasn't even in the scripts, or mm-hmm. wasn't even like it was. It was because a lot of this stuff kind of gets moved around, or it kind of gets rewritten, kind of mm-hmm. like like whole themes kind of come up. And um, I'm I'm hoping if we see me again, that it will be brought up again. Well, uh, in I particular, think... I'd like to see Jamie Matheson uh, take take that character on again um, in the more in a more modern context. I think the fact that we have me as <clears throat> An authority figure, uh, me as the mayor, mm-hmm. essentially, of this little place. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. But then we also have this gender divide of this um, species that... The Jonas. The the females... The females have psychic powers. And the males, the males don't. don't. Right. Um, Which sexual dimorphism in species is a thing, you know? Like right. It's, it's, it's just not really that true of humans, you know, in terms of the way that, like, sexist assholes like to pretend it is. And right. But, I mean, it, it's totally reasonable this is a thing for another species. You know? Right. Um, but there's a lot of little ideas that get brought up in this episode that I think are really interesting. I don't think that they get addressed. And I think that that's what we both kind of said, that it's like, I really, I feel like I really like this episode, but I want to see how they respond to it. And they respond to it with another episode that I think could have been handled much better, but that I don't dislike the story of. The idea that the way to get rid of Clara is to finally have the doctor admit that he was obsessed with Clara and he had the problem, not her. Sure. I think that that is interesting as a character turn for the doctor. Uh-huh. I don't think it rectifies all of the no consequences stuff that we've said before, as some people have um, kind of tried to say, but... Uh, we're gonna... I, I have I have a blog post percolating about that actually. I'm gonna write a blog post all about no consequences. So yeah, we're gonna. Um, but before we move on, I do want to just say like there is I overall I think I remember saying I really like this episode. I'm really confused. I really like this episode. With Face the Raven. Yeah, with yeah. Face the Raven. And you know I'm definitely somebody who will get will let herself be played into. Friggin' Edgar Allan Poe, Poe, uh, Raven-ness. Uh-huh. And anyway, I, I loved a lot of it. Uh, Face the Raven, I think, and I, and I do want to spend some mm-hmm. time on this episode. Um, there are two that I actually want to spend some time on and two that I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. align past. Face the Raven, I think, is ultimately, I think that a lot of what's really good in this episode is, is very good. Mm-hmm. But I think that what follows it kind of detracts from it. To a large degree. Yeah, I think um, the story gets completely that, undermined. I do think that Clara not actually dying, that this not being her last mm-hmm. episode, that she gets brought back and uh, Hellbent does detract from this um, to, to a large degree. I know that people have had different opinions about whether... I think it's still an effective moment, but I definitely think that like stretching out the Clara death thing for literally three whole episodes dealing with Clara's yeah. death, uh, it, it, it definitely gives it a weight that I really wish it had not played it that way. Well, it's hard to take... I think the way that it is given would make more sense if we had only had this um, season slash series with Clara. If Clara and the Twelfth Doctor really... Um, that's what this was about. But 
you can't let go of the fact that we have, like, proto-Clara, who we saw die, like, a hundred million times. I think the fact that, like, this is supposed to be Clara's big final death. Right. And she does get to have this opportunity, albeit more than necessary, I think, of being able to say, no, I'm going to take agency over my life and my actions, and you are going to take agency over your life and your actions, instead of just saying, because Clara, because my friend, because this. And I think that that is a fair criticism of this doctor. Well, it's um, fair. What it really is, and, and mm-hmm. sorry to, sorry to, but, but what it really is is a response to the way that Donna left in Journey's End, mm-hmm. which is probably the, the low point of the, of the RTD era, you know, in terms of like a social justice critique, is the way the doctor treats Donna in her final moments. I mean, he, he basically forces her to, to wipe her memory. Um, and that's like, that's like the, if there is a like fundamental criticism of the way RTD handled companions, it's that, you know, two of them basically left it not of their own volition. And, mm-hmm. you know, particularly Donna. I mean, it's a really terrible, terrible moment. Yeah, but Donna would have died otherwise. That's Well, Clara would have died otherwise. I mean, it's Donna's decision whether to die or to, yeah. you know, and that's the and that's the argument. You know, like that's the, and I and I agree yeah. with that argument. I what think this is, particularly when you yeah. get to Hellbent, is Moffat re- basically doing the good version of that. You know, is saying... Yeah. We're going to let Clara decide. And I think that this whole thing, like, she keeps having this argument about her own agency. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just, that's legitimately, what that is, is Stephen Moffat <laughs> proving his feminist bona fides over RTD mm-hmm. and, like, fixing the, the end of Journey's End. Which, the end of Journey's End is terrible. I'm not, I'm not going to defend that, you know? I, the end of Journey's End, I think, is incredibly problematic. I have less issues with it because if you this is kind of where i'm looking at it sure honestly if we look at at clara as a response to donna let's look at the story arc in between which is kind of how i was looking at this at this point where you have a doctor who has wiped his companions memories who has had companions basically according to moffat choose to die Versus stay with him because they know that they can't stay with him anymore. You've had, and now you're having a companion who has been forced to die over and over and over and over again. And then finally say, no, I'm not going to die when you choose for me to. I'm going to die as my own personal sacrifice for my friend, Riggsy. And yes, I think it's because you can heal me. But, you know, if I'm making a genuine mistake and overestimating you, it's on me. Like... That kind of story arc of the conversation of why the companions need to be there for the Doctor, I think is interesting. So at the end of Face the Raven, we see Clara dying, and I'm like, it it was really moving to me, I thought. I thought that that was done really well, and have the Doctor essentially say, alright, take me wherever you were going to take me, and then I'm going to avenge Clara's death. Even up till that, I was like, eh. Okay, we'll get to the other episodes when we get to that. Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll explore. I mean, a lot of what we're going to be doing this episode is basically talking about Clara's death or not or whatever. There is a school of thought, and this is kind of all I'm going to say on for now on this particular issue is of where we tend to see sort of view in this fandom the kind of feminist credentials of various companions solely through the lens of how they leave the show, right? Right. 
um, where we say, you know, well, Susan, you know, gets left on the on a planet to marry some dude, and Leela leaves by marrying some dude, and there's, you know, and that's a, certainly a valid thing, but I think that you also have to talk about the way that the companions are treated through the rest of their tenure on the show. Mm-hmm. And I think Claire's been a phenomenal companion, and I think that she's a very, I mean, honestly, I think she's been a very feminist companion through at least most of her performance. I think Jenna Coleman has done a great job in performance. You know, we can quibble about lots of things, and we talked a lot about that in our Series 8 kind of wrap-up discussion. But I think the argument, like, it feels like what Stephen Moffat is doing here in the way that her ending has been handled is to deliberately make, give her the absolute most agency he could possibly give her as a defense against the kind of, the, the broader social justice piece. You know, because this is what everyone is going to point to is saying, like, look at how much agency Clara had at the end of, I know Face the Raven is Sarah Dollar, but look at how much agency Clara has at the end of her arc. And this is all we now get to talk about when we talk about Clara and any kind of feminist critique of her is is now going to be that. So congratulations, fandom. This is this is this is where we are. So um, and how much better it is than Journey's End. Which I agree, it's manifestly better than Journey's End on that on that argument. We'll talk about the Stolen Earth Journey's End. We'll we'll actually discuss that story at some point, and we can we can chat about that. Yeah. Um, I do have some other thoughts about Face the Raven without talking about um, you know, kind of Claire's sacrifice at the end. First of all, you mentioned the bizarre, bizarre. You know, mm-hmm. um, I got a really Men in Black feel from this. Yeah, uh, it definitely has kind of a, a more. A little bit seedier, a little bit um, more kind of dramatic, less comedic kind of men in black kind of tone. Well, and the fact that they were all seeking refuge there. Well, refugee status, I mean, what everybody talks about when they talk about this story, and I've been trying to kind of keep up with the, because mm-hmm. we're recording this a few weeks later, I actually get to like pay attention to what other people are saying. Right. Um, so I've been trying to kind of keep it in mind, but people are kind of talking about how topical this is and how it's connected to so much mm-hmm. of the... Um, broader conversation about refugees in Syria and that sort of thing, uh, which I agree with. I I mean... I You know, I agree with that to some degree, but we don't really get to talk about their status as refugees that much. Well, we don't spend a lot of time on it. You know, like, like mm-hmm. that... And that, that's kind of where I land on kind of this whole four episodes that we're going to talk about today is Sleep No More Shouldn't Insist, <laughs> Face the Raven should be a two-parter. Yes, it would have been have far more interesting as a two-parter. You should have a part that's all about like, the refugee status and the refugee camp and, you mm-hmm. know, me as the, the mayor and all that sort of thing. And then you have an episode dealing with kind of the, you know, Claire's death, essentially. You know, kind of what what leads up to Claire's death and the, you know, all that sort of thing. And then Heaven Sent should be basically excised or made into five minutes at the beginning of Hellbent. And then you have two episodes describing the events of Hellbent. That would be kind of where I would uh, yeah. land on well, this. Well, and Heaven Sent is where he's locked, right? Heaven Sent is the, is the uh, I'm going to chip away at a, at a diamond for, you know, the lifetime of the universe. Um, Chip away at something harder than diamond. And not really the lifetime of the universe. I'm, I'm... But also, like, since when does, like, the Doctor have superhuman strength? Well, he does. Okay, we're we're not going to talk about that one right now. I did want to talk about um, the refugee camp and face the Raven. Okay, kind of. <laughs> unless you want to move on to uh, Heaven Sent. I was just going to say. I mean, there is this opportunity to have a, like that be the ending of Clara's death. He gets sent off and has to fight through a wall for a billion years, whatever, and he comes out the other side. And I think the reason that they didn't do that is purely 
one, they love just making us hurt for an entire episode of like, what's going on? Nothing! Moffat loves... Well, Heaven Sent is a literal puzzle box story. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's fundamentally about a puzzle box. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but I think in the context of he gets sent there after being in this refugee camp and witnessing Clara's death, and it would have almost seemed like a fair ending to focus on him kind of going crazy. Not even in an ableist way, like literally kind of losing his mind. Yeah, his, losing you know. his mind because you would if you were by yourself for that long. Well, he's not, though. He's there for, I mean, each cycle is, I don't know, a few days, maybe a week. Yeah. You know, and then he annihilates himself and he starts over again. Right. So, so, so he's, like, he's in only subjective ever... time, he's only there for, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know, then we don't really get a sense of exactly how long he's there, but it can be more than a week. You know? Yes. Um, but I think the idea that objectively you know that you were swimming in a sea of your own skulls, like... I I absolutely agree with... My issue with Heaven Sent, and this is, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of no consequences, which, you know, we're just gonna... You yeah. Know, um, is that he leaves Heaven Sent the same way he went into it. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I woke up early one morning and, and couldn't get back to sleep and I ended mm-hmm. up chatting with Jack Graham and private messages on Twitter mm-hmm. about this and um, you know Jack Graham we mention you every yeah. episode at least once um, he and I chatted a little bit and, mm-hmm. and I think I think we'll um, ask him when he comes on the show here mm-hmm. um, shortly and, and we'll maybe kind of discuss this a little bit more but I, I you know I ultimately there's no there's he spends all this time doing this, and what do we learn about the Doctor and the process? What do we get from the... What does the Doctor get from this experience? Well, and... He leaves Hellbent. I mean, you could excise this episode completely. He could teleport directly from the end of Face the Raven, mm-hmm. and then he could end up in this middle of a field on Gallifrey. And yeah. basically, there's no difference, except for, like, a couple of lines of dialogue. No, but... And this is kind of why I'm saying, like, before I before we go back to talk about the refugees, because you have slapped on additional Clara um, dynamics. You have all this additional Clara story um, that I think undermines her death, but that is another kind of false attempt by Moffat to say, like, look at how much perfect this character is. What are you talking about specifically? I I think Clara is meant to be, like, the perfect companion. The Twelfth Doctor, you know, he's like, you're the perfect friend for me and that's why I keep going and saving you even though he treats her like shit and she loves it and there's like this vague mention that Missy is the one who hooked him up because she knew they'd be bad for each other and we'll get there I think that there is a lot of interesting story there that could have actually been interesting if we had explored it at all in the context of me and her small refugee camp face the raven mm-hmm it's it's kind of three stories in one. You kind of mm-hmm. get first you get this kind of story of okay the trap streets and we have to track down and mm-hmm. there's this kind of investigative portion which I think is fun. I, I, yeah. I like that stuff. Holly Boson, Holly who came on the show a few weeks mm-hmm. ago and talked to Carnival Monsters with us, uh, made the mention and I'm just gonna bring this up just because she brought it up and I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get to see Claire's nipples at one point in this uh, story and face the Raven. In the uh, scene where she's hanging out of the edge of the uh, TARDIS, mm-hmm. and she's uh, almost falls out, and then she comes back up, and apparently her nipples are very, very clearly noticeable 
when like she like through the shirt, like through the shirt. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jeez, somebody well, slowed that down. Well, I, I, Holly, Holly made the made the point that like she's supposed to be kind of flushed and highly energized and mm-hmm. everything, and that so it kind of makes sense in that moment. But the fact that um, you know, people people in that people have been gift setting this uh, death scene yeah. and the tight sweater thing, and it's definitely been a like. There's been a segment of fandom that's like, look at her tits. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna deny that that I I've seen that in a, in a couple of different places. Um, okay, well, there's gonna be that subsection of fandom no matter what. <laughs> sure. I understand. Sorry, I just wanted to bring that up while we were talking about that particular moment. But I I, I do like that kind of aspect of we're searching things out, we're finding things. Mm-hmm. We go to a library and pull up maps and that sort of thing. Yeah, God is, forbid. There is this sort of sense of like investigating and just like, this is like fun Doctor Who stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we get into this middle section, which is all about kind of the refugee camp and the mm-hmm. kind of the politics of the refugee camp, which to me is the most interesting section. And then yeah. you get kind of a final 20 minutes, which is all about like Clara dying and like this very extended mm-hmm. sequence about that. What I think is interesting about the refugee stuff is, you know, it's explicitly modeled as me has to maintain order in this place by mm-hmm. exerting this kind of strict authoritarian rule. Like, mm-hmm. you screw up, you die. That's essentially the way life works in this camp. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially, um, you know, while we, at the end, we kind of realize, we find out that me's whole purpose was not to kill anybody, but just to capture the doctor the way the Time Lords wanted. Mm-hmm. But we do get this sense of... Um, you know, her authoritarian rule, basically, she's maintaining order by killing people, and, like, it doesn't matter if Rixie is actually guilty, Mm -hmm. because, basically, we have to kill him in order to maintain order, you know, because Mm -hmm. this, there there are all these, like, factious factions. This this is the rule we chose to live by. And that connects to, I mean, that connects to all sorts of things. I mean, Mm -hmm. what is, what is the, you know, the argument for capital punishment in our real world mm-hmm. is often like, well, if they're on the streets, then, you know, like, who who knows what's going to happen? And, you know, that, you know they broke the law. They did, you know, this this um, tendency towards violence, you mm-hmm. know, in the way that, uh, you know, Rixie is definitely an innocent in this story. I mean, he was just some kid who was, you know, lured into it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we didn't really get... I mean, this is very much one of those um, one who walk away from Amelia's kind of Omelos kind of problems. You know, the um, you have this great society that's all wonderful and everybody has prosperity and money mm-hmm. and everything, and then the only way that this society is built is like you've got a small child being tortured for all eternity in the center of it, sort of thing. You know, right? You know, honestly, in our society, we do make these decisions like almost mm-hmm. daily. Like there well, are and the fact things. that there is a girl who is hiding as a boy because of what being a girl means right. in her society, and be it a, what did you call it, biodysmorphic trait? Dysmorphic, sexual dysmorphia. Sexual dysmorphic change. It's not a change. It's different. The different sexes have different, I mean, humans, I have a penis, you do not have a penis. Okay, you're that's, saying dysmorphia. That's, that's sexual dysmorphia, yeah. not dysphoria. Thank you. I know um, we talk. I know we talk about a lot of trans issues on this show. I know. I was like, wait a second, words, um, science. I think that there are lots of layers to the society that are really interesting. I think the fact that you have me being the ruler really interesting. There's a lot I wish that we could have looked at in this little pocket society that we don't get to see, and I think the fact that we spend so much time. On Clara's death, whereas, I mean, it's not until later, but they they reference their own uh, previous episode with the music from Orient Express. And there is this kind of like, well, when Clara 
was just going to stop being a companion, there was this grand send-off. Like, the doctor said, hey, let's go do this fun thing. I mean, um, and Jenna Alpha like, was basically left the show like six times. Right. I mean, you know. You just said Jenna Oswald. Uh, sorry, Jenna Coleman. Jenna yeah. Coleman has basically left the show six times because she's died. Versions of her have died. In yeah. At least three. And so my, uh, I guess my thing is you have this gothic dramatic setting with this raven that is going to come take her, would Clara be fighting for her life up until the last second? Or would Clara say, oh, this is the mistake that gets me killed? And she gets a little bit of that. But I think being able to have that reaction in this setting would have been really... I would have liked to see, like, time for her for her and the doctor to sit over a cup of, like, I don't know, some other planet's tea. Like, and... instead of having, like, three minutes, she has... Like three days or something like that to, to like make peace or. Or if she had just three minutes and she said, "Okay, this is it," and just finally accepts, like, "Okay, I'm dying this time." Well, I think what's interesting is she does, but the doctor doesn't. Like right. The, in terms of the character dynamic, that's definitely what I think. That in my head, there is a version where Clara says, "Like true agency would have been Clara saying, no, I don't want to spend my last three minutes.'" like trying to save my life. I want to spend my last three minutes sitting down and having a cuppa with my friend. Sure. And I, and I guess that there's just, there are moments where there were opportunities for more character advancement that, I mean, and, and this is the consistent issue I have with Clara. So it's like not anything new. I just kind of wanted to like point out it was there, even though I really liked this episode. Yep. No, I, I think Face the Raven is mm -hmm. one of the probably two or three best of the season mm -hmm. of, the, of Series 9. Um, and I think this has been a really good series overall. Mm -hmm. um, you know, given, given a little bit, if we weren't trying to do two more episodes, I think I would explore some of this a little bit more. But I do want to mm -hmm. kind of move on into yeah. kind of reactions to Clara's death. Um, but I think I think Face the Raven actually works really well. Um, I think Dollard, I really want to see Sarah Dollard brought back. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, she's very active on Tumblr, and so um, oh my gosh. that's one of those. I gotta uh, look her up. Yeah, one of those things. And then we move on to Heaven Sent, which probably has the longest time frame between first frame and final frame of the episode that any Doctor Who story will ever have. You know, I'm not. Um, I've been thinking about this, and I've been reading about this, and I've been reading people's responses, and if this speaks to you, if this visually, emotionally, mm -hmm. if this works for you, and this is like, and this really touches you, I am not going to get in the way of that. I am not, there's nothing that I'm going to say here is meant to denigrate that or discuss that or, or anything. What works for us emotionally is often really personal. And, you know, we've all dealt with grief in our lives. And this is very much an episode about, at least hypothetically, about the doctor's reaction to his grief about losing mm -hmm. Clara. And I think the moments of this that work really, really work. It's kind of where I land on this ultimately is kind of where I landed on Dark Water um, from, from last season. Um, the uh, Cybermen sitting in pools of water and tanks of water episode, the first oh. part of the two-parter that ended Series mm -hmm. 8. It's really impressively produced. There's some really cool ideas. There's some interesting stuff going on, some nice character bits. But ultimately, it does kind of nothing to move us forward in any way. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think the idea that he was stuck in that, and we know exactly how long he was stuck in it, it it felt a bit overkill to me uh, to have that. 
I understand what they were trying to say with the, oh, the stars have aged, stars have aged, the stars have aged, you know, X mm. many years um, incrementally. Um, but I thought the much more touching moment was then in, in the other episode, in Clara's reaction to it. So even though I, I really like the metaphor of this, it also seems somewhat definitive of this doctor, that this doctor needed that am- amount of time of, like, he apparently just had some energy to burn for a few billion years of, like, just pure anger and frustration. And well, if you see that as an accumulation of, like, 9, 10, 11, 12, I, I kind of like this episode as a metaphor. Again, could it have been done in five minutes? Could it have been done, like, not even in five minutes, just in that one line of how long were you in there, Doctor, um, in the next episode? I, for me, like, the the idea that it's, like, if he'd been in there for a, okay, think about um, Last of the Time Lords, mm-hmm. right? The, uh, Martha's last episode, mm-hmm. the end of the series three, right? Which I, I actually will defend that kind of three-parter to a You'll lot, defend actually. anything with Martha in it. I defend almost anything with Martha in it. I love Martha, uh, and I love that story. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole point is the Doctor has been subservient to the Master for a year. He's been eating out of a dog bowl. He's been, you know, mm-hmm. like, he, he's been tormented for a year. Mm-hmm. And the entire citizenry of Earth have been subjugated under the Master and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then it all gets erased at the end, and only the people closest to the mm-hmm. Master, closest to the events, actually remember anything. Mm-hmm. A year feels like a really, like, like that feels like, especially in a show where, like, really episodes don't last more than a couple of days. Mm-hmm. A year is a really long time. Yeah. Like, you know, a year a year feels like this is something that's like tangible, it's something that's that I understand mm-hmm. why it took him this long to do this and it says something about this character that he mm-hmm. spent that amount of time trying to do this just mm-hmm. to try to save the master's life. At the same time, having it be like four and a half billion years feels a little bit like a Doctor Evil, like one billion dollars, you know what I mean? Like it, Yeah, there's this idea of it's just excessiveness. So, it's so out of realm of any like context. And that... but as you stated, he's only living it one week at a time. Um so there isn't even that uh Right. So you don't even get that sense that he's actually been there for all that amount of time. Because he hasn't, like in his own mind. It's mm-hmm. just or you know, in his experience. From his experience, he woke up in the teleporter, mm-hmm. he found a bunch of skulls in an ocean, realized they were all him. Mm-hmm. He realized how long he'd been there, and he smashed on a piece of diamond four or five times and broke through. Mm-hmm. Like, that's 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 his experience of mm-hmm. this moment. Now, And that's very different. The knowledge, and, and you alluded to this earlier, the mm-hmm. knowledge that, like, I have been stuck in this loop for the lifetime of planet Earth, mm-hmm. but it's not subjective experience, eh? Mm-hmm. And one thing that that really kind of gets me about this is the fact that, and Jack and I talked about this a little Mm -hmm. bit the other day, is that um, it's the same kind of clockwork mechanism every time. Yeah. He does the exact same thing every time. Every time. There's no sense of, like, he wakes up and then there's, like, oh, this time time through the cycle I went and tried this, and this time through the cycle I tried this, and this Mm -hmm. time, and then, like, it resets every time or whatever, but... It's not a very good version of Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is absolutely kind of the like that's the better version. Like, how much more interesting would it be if you if the Doctor wasn't just pounding at this piece of diamond, but like was was 
trying different things and was working uh, and realized during the cycles that like I've been mm-hmm. doing this for this long. I've been trying and all these remembered different things all of it and found all these like different clues of like different things he had tried millions of years before or something. Well, and what I wanted most, as soon as you realize the idea that they're putting forward, what I wanted most was then we have this direct comparison where the doctor and me really are equal because me can't remember all of the things that they've lived through but Uh me has lived until the end of the universe i I have which we will have issues to talk about and i get that that. but if you have the doctor also having lived through all of that but he hasn't he's kind of clarified his way through it right Um, well in the the eternal reset button i mean there's a lot you could say about the idea of like you're going through the motions and you're just going through the same thing every time, but you're you know you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of emotionally processing things or whatever like that. There's 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 something there. And you know I'm gonna stop you for a second, and I'm just gonna point this out. The reason Groundhog Day is good is not just because he gets the girl at the end. It's because he tries to save people. He tries. He learns a language. He learns to play piano. He actually grows. Well, and growth of character is ultimately like, like what does the what does the doctor learn from this experience? Like how how does how does heaven sent work? Mm-hmm. Because it's all about the character of the doctor. Mm-hmm. So we see the learn something about the doctor. And I mean, I know there are like little things that they talk about the hybrid or whatever. Mm-hmm. I left Gallifrey because I was scared. I mean, oh god, I don't even know how we're gonna talk about that. But you know, we'll I was scared of the hybrid or whatever. We should either learn something about the character, or the character should be changed by the experience. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about consequences, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, is we need to have some sense that this means something to somebody. This is going to have a lasting effect. This is not something that we mention once. We need to know it has a lasting effect. This is not something that we're going to mention once and then forget about it the next day. It's somebody can't get a cut on their face and not have a scar for the rest of the show. You know what I mean? I'm I'm struck by this is uh, Elliot Chapman. Our new friend Elliot Chapman went on the Eurodatorium Press podcast mm-hmm. and discussed this episode and talked about Capaldi's acting and you know a mm-hmm. lot of other stuff. And it's a really interesting discussion between Phil Sanifer and mm-hmm. um, and Elliot Chapman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to link it in the show notes. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that they brought up that I was thinking of is like, can you imagine another doctor doing this? Like, could you imagine Tom Baker? I mean, they don't bring up Tom Baker. Can you imagine Tom Baker? I t- you know, Tom Baker's the first one I thought of. For me, it's like Hartnell. I can imagine you know Hartnell getting that, but imagine the different kind of story. Like if it's Tom Baker doing this, I mean, first of all, can you imagine Tom Baker? We have to break through this thing. This is hard, two hundred times harder than Diamond, but I've been doing it for a billion years or whatever. It becomes an absurdist play, you know? Right. Like, I mean, it's this kind of Sisyphean task is what he's doing. Yes. And but without the existentialism, and yes. without the context, it's just like clockwork. You know, and and I think the fact that when the the monster wraith thing finally breaks, that it is indeed clockwork, right? Um, I mean, the the, the gears the gears at the beginning. I mean, we're we're constantly. I mean, the Doctor is a piece of clockwork in this mechanism. Mm-hmm. That's why he does the same thing every time. Like that. That's the yeah. fundamental metaphor. And I think that 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 fundamental metaphor is what I have issues with. Of you know, if you put someone in a puzzle box, it's not going to prove to them that they are the cog in the clock until they decide to break the clock. 
Well, the whole thing is like... It's kind of like, what can you learn by being part of the clock and then choosing to leave? The whole thing is set up so that the Doctor will leave. Yeah. You know, because, like, the whole reason that, like, this even exists, that there's even a way to break out of it. Mm -hmm. The I am in 12, the, you know, the the spades sitting around. I mean, Mm -hmm. the whole... I mean, essentially, this is a... I'm bringing up a video game metaphor again, you know? Like, this is this is a this is a story on rails. You know, the Doctor is essentially going down one path. It's a predefined right. path because it's designed for him, even though he's making decisions. These decisions are constrained by, ultimately, atom by atom, you know, manipulation of the world in which he's living. Therefore, it doesn't tell you anything about the Doctor. It tells you everything about the people who made the puzzle. Right. And, and I think we could have gotten much less of the puzzle uh, and still gotten to the same place with the Time Lords on, in the next episode, which, are we moving on to that yet? Uh, here in just a second. But, okay, so I will allude to this, but we'll talk about it more, but talking about Gallifrey and the Time Lords as actually um, not good people, um, or at least oh, problematic people. Uh, and... uh, no, the, the Time Lords are total bastards. I mean, and, and again, <laughs> we're, we're going to get into that. I'm... IT crowd reference. What a bunch of bastards. <laughs> We've basically covered a lot of the stuff I wanted to mention in Heaven mm-hmm. Sent. Um, I did want to say the Capaldi as an actor. Yes. Doing the, I mean, this is a phenomenal performance. And that's kind of where they were kind of talking um, on the Over Detroit Press podcast episode I mentioned, that it's kind of hard to imagine any of the other actors who played the Doctor really being able to sell this the way that Capaldi does. No, and I think that that is often a criticism I have of Moffat, or at least Moffat-era who is that there does seem to be a bit of, well, the writing can be a bit weak here because we know this person can sell this. Right, I mean... And I'm, to some degree, I'm fine with that because was it kind of great to get to watch Capaldi go through all these situations? Yes. I think the greater acting feat that he would have been able to do is to compress that into a shorter amount of time. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't think we needed a whole episode of this, but um, I no. did want to mention, as long as you're talking about one-handers, mm-hmm. um, there is a uh, art film made between uh, 1980 and 1994. Mm-hmm. Sorry, bringing back that meme we were doing for a while. Oh, um, right. There is a film called uh, uh, Secret Honor, which is directed by Rod- Rod- Robert Altman and mm-hmm. uh, starring Philip Baker Hall as Richard Nixon, basically sitting in his office and um, bitching for an hour and a half, and it's glorious. If this had felt like one long monologue given by Peter Capaldi, which it kind of does, um, it would have felt better. But again, he doesn't go through it consistently. He goes through it a week at a time but, with a restart button. But the whole point of you know Secret Honor mm-hmm. is that you learn, I mean, it's about Richard Nixon's character. Right. You know, or at least about this perspective of anyway, Richard Nixon's character. Yes. Um, the only other thing I'm going to say is that I, I did admire the score of uh, Heaven Sent. Um, Murray Gold is... is Doing some really nice stuff. I did notice the score on the second yeah. watch through. I really wish it had been a little bit more Philip Glassy though. Um, Is that why we were listening to Philip? Glass I, I put on earlier? some Philip Glass while I was writing my uh, my notes on this because it's just it really needed yeah. that like you know um, math music, math music essentially. Yeah, and, and the Clockwork Universe and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I will say. Um, I think that the score is being used more interestingly again. Uh, I got really, really tired of kind of the same notes with Amy and Rory and the Doctor, uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily the composer's fault. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> at that ultimately, point, ultimately, the composer's making decisions about music, and I mean, mm-hmm. we don't know to what degree. I mean, again, not 
what what Dominic Glenn said last year at uh, at TARDIS at TARDIS twenty fourteen um, when he talked about how we've literally had one person write all the music for Doctor Who since it came back in two thousand five. Yeah, and it would be really nice to get some different musical perspectives. Um, right, but I did really admire the score um, here. I mean, I think um, you know it pushes a little bit in that kind of more kind of mathy direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. I, I almost wanted to just go almost completely abstract with that and just be, you know, like, to really sell that. Um, Philip Glass is kind of where I would land on that. Two more quick notes on Heaven Sent is both grief porn and torture porn. Who would have thought we'd get in a whole episode of Doctor Who that's basically torture porn, where you just watch the Doctor drag himself along the floor and bleed all over the place and smash his uh, wrist, you know, a hundred yeah. million times and that sort of thing. Like, yeah. isn't, isn't that... Isn't that really what you come to for this nice, goofy, happy, uh, yeah. fun show, family hour show? I'm sorry, I'm not. I, I don't want to push too hard on that because no, but, but, but there's there it, it is, wallows. It wallows in his suffering. To to I mean, it, it does. I think it, it's going to be. I would love to hear somebody who talks about how the tenth Doctor is all wallowy talk about this episode and see how they felt about it. Uh, because I do wonder if there is a kind of appreciating the phys- physical acts of wallowing versus, you know, actual verbal acts of wallowing. You know, I, um, I feel like there is this kind of element of, I mean, this is kind of where I come back to talking about how different doctors would handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, there isn't a clever way out of this problem other than just, like, I'm going to beat down the, the diamond with my fist a millimeter at a time over billions of years. But there had to have been a better way because... In the following episode, we find the people who made the box essentially said, well, we didn't think it would take him that long to get out. Right. Well, and... all he had to do, all he had to do to get out was mm-hmm. to confess, was to confess. Mm-hmm. Like you, you essentially, you confess all the stuff it needs to do to confess mm-hmm. and then it lets you out. Yeah. So if he just said, this is what, this is what happened. And then it's implied and okay, we're just moving on to Hellbent now. Yeah. It's implied in Hellbent, or it's stated outright that. The only reason the Doctor spent four billion years in this fucking mechanism mm-hmm. was to gain a, a poker chip to use against the Time Lords in order to get Clara back. Essentially. I mean, and that's literally what he says. Like, uh, okay, so this this is my general thought about Hellbent. Um, a, mm-hmm. Rachel Talele directed both Heaven Sent and Hellbent. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She also directed Tar- Dark Water and Death in Heaven. Mm-hmm. And she, those are well directed, but these are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to see a Spaghetti Western, starring Peter Capaldi, directed by Rachel Talele, and I want that in my life, like, right now. Yeah, uh, um, other than the fact that this episode was kind of a, a Spaghetti well, Western. The, the first, the first like, third of it or so, it mm-hmm. very much is, and that's kind of where I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is this is what I want. This, yeah. I, I need to see this. Um, I really wish we'd, we'd spent more time on that, but for me, where I land on this is the Doctor does his, does his whole, I spent four billion years in this mechanism thing. He gets mm-hmm. out. He's pissed off. He's going to go take over the Time Lord Society. Mm-hmm. He's going to get rid of Rassilon once and for all and mm-hmm. do all this stuff just because of Clara. There's no, oh, these outlers, which you've been looking down on for all this time, the entire time of Time Lord Society, mm-hmm. this ossified power structure that we need to get rid of. I mean, mm-hmm. the Doctor comes back as this, I mean, the, the triumphant return of the Time Lords as all of their venal, awful ossified structure and all their great power and all the kind of gothic architecture and the matrix and all this kind of stuff and he's not there to help anybody he's just there to get his friend back and that, and that for me it just robs it of all that of all the yes. meaning it it does because 
And it's hard to even, like, really admit that the two are there because the first half of the episode does feel more like, I feel like this story wanted to say, you stole my, you stole me of my best friend for no reason. You put me in a box and I, I refused to play your game and you kept me in it until the end of the universe until I could basically muscle my way out of it instead of saying, like, I will not play this game. Mm-hmm. And then we have the spaghetti western style standoff. Like, that storyline I follow. Um, but it is does kind of ignore, <laughs> like, everything that is around it. Well, the whole visual rhetoric of that first third mm-hmm. of Hellbent, mm-hmm. the spaghetti western. And I've always kind of thought Doctor Who's kind of a western. You know, it's always been like, the lone stranger kind of wanders into town and finds something wrong, and because he's faster than the other guy, he can, you know... I mean, he doesn't outgun him with guns, he outguns him with... Wits. Wits, and, you yeah. know, cleverness, or social cohesion, or whatever. But, I mean, there's always been a Western element to Doctor Who. And, yeah. you know, he's sitting there, and we're very much in spaghetti Western territory, and so many of these stories are about lone drifters kind of coming in, they've got a haunted past or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're taking down these kind of bad people for their own reasons, but ultimately we get a sense of, like, the villagers, the the outliers in this case. They're protecting the Doctor mm-hmm. because of their own reasons, mm-hmm. because we don't really get a sense of why the outliers are. But certainly the soldiers, I mean, they're treating him like a war hero. Mm-hmm. This guy's a war hero. And I have issues with that. I mm-hmm. what I mean. But once the Doctor is back, once Rassilon's gone, mm-hmm. we never hear from that again. There's no context in which, like, it's literally just like, well, I got rid of Rassilon, I got rid of the High Castle, so, um, yeah, so now let's go uh, get Clara back. Yeah. You know? What the hell happens to Gallifrey and society? And, I mean, that's the way the Doctor works. I mean, he kind of topples power structures and then just kind of wanders off in his own little direction. But I really, really, for me, it robs it of, like, that moment where the Doctor is standing against, I mean, which are, you know, again, aesthetically, lone, unarmed man... Yeah. standing alone against, like, massive military infrastructure. Give me that all day long. That is exactly where I'm, you know, that that speaks to me on almost an uh, you know, genetic level. I know, and I can tell because you're fanboying and you just said loan twice in a row. I did, so. But, <laughs> you know, this, this I, And so... I totally get that, and I love all of that, Um, and I love bringing the Time Lords back in as the villains except in this way that it is another example of you know patriarchal society and a society where the leader is really detached from the people uh both of those things are things that i would love to see more of however the fact that then he does kind of spit in their face to go say um so fuck you for killing my friend just because you can I'm going to go bring her back again. It undermines it for me. However, the conversation then becomes about Clara's agency. um, And we do get that nice moment. So it's, it's frustrating because I feel like there's this some point between um, Clara's death and then Clara living or being in the TARDIS with me. I almost felt like they were addressed in the wrong order. If it had addressed it in a different order and it didn't make the doctor seem like he would change the world for just one friend. Because he's let so many other companions die. Well, I mean, you know, the, 
there is this there is this sense, and I mean, like I get that you can't always look back and kind of treat everything the way it it always was. Mm-hmm. But like this is the the same guy who like Amy leaves, and he's supposed to think Amy is the most important person in his life ever. Mm-hmm. She ends up in 1938, um, New York or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like. Oh well, we can't go to New Jersey and get a cab for her, you know, like and you know, like like that makes no logical sense. But then Clara comes along and she's the impossible girl, and then she's not the impossible girl anymore. She's just Clara, and she's the best friend ever, ever, ever. So we go to the end of the universe for her, and I kind of feel like, like what you said, this is Moffat kind of doing the same thing over again, um, except his version of upping the stakes is like adding another like best friend. Like, ever after that. Like, no, they were best friends ever, but he and Clara are best friends, like, ever, ever. I mean, again, just the idea that we spent literally three whole episodes Mm -hmm. essentially on Clara's death and then eventual resurrection, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, nobody stays, the only person that stays dead in Moffat Who is Danny Pink. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, and, okay, so I saw some (sighs) argument online alluding to situations like this that have happened in Big Finish. Um, specifically Charlie, um, Pollard, who is like one of that series' most loved companions, from what Mm -hmm. I can tell. She is taken away at the moment of her historically pointed fixed death. Uh, I have not listened to when. I'm sure she has to return to that at some point. Yeah, we haven't listened to enough of that. I mean, it's, 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 it's something that we, it's not like unprecedented. It's, 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 it's not a, it's not the universe doesn't work that way problem for me. It's a, if you're going to kill her, then fucking kill her. Exactly. And make it mean something. Exactly. If you're not going to kill her, if you're going to let her go off and be with me, let her go off and be with me. You know, yeah. I mean, make make one decision or the other. Yeah. You know? And so it ends up feeling, the way it's written, it just ends up feeling kind of wishy-washy of like, is she? Isn't well, she? Is yeah, she? The whole isn't way, she? And I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of in Moffat bitch mode here, but the whole way that Moffat treats a lot of the, like, the hybrid is brought up at the beginning of Series 9. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's this big thing, and it's supposed to be this huge thing. It prophesies throughout, like, like Tom Baker knew about this, and William Hartnell knew about this, and this is why the the Doctor left Gallifrey to begin with, like mm-hmm. this because of this hybrid prophecy thing, and everybody knows about it, mm-hmm. even though we've never heard about it before. But okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. We get to invent new things, and we don't even really get an explanation for it at the end. Mm-hmm. It's completely well. Maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's this other thing. Maybe the Doctor is the hybrid. Maybe the Doctor and Claire are together are the hybrid. Maybe me is the hybrid. Maybe maybe it's none of it. Maybe like who like and, and ultimately it's like why did you bring this in? Mm-hmm. Why is this here? Why do I care about the hybrid? Mm-hmm. What does it mean other than just a plot device? And if it's just a plot device, that's fine. But don't make me care about it. Don't don't pretend like I care about it when I don't. Well, and I think that this is something that has kind of bothered the storyline in and out. Is you know they they don't really deal with religious beliefs and the doctor tends to like the, talk the, about the religion re- and doctrine conversation we could have a whole like yes podcast but so like, oh. uh but you have this story that says um all stories were once true they just were memories that were retold or some shit like that moffat and stories is another thing like the the, the, the elevation of, the story of storytelling is is this like fundamental facet of the universe thing. I mean, it's, and okay, that's fine. Like mm-hmm. that's your that's your idea. I'm fine. It's a very writerly thing to do right now. Um, it's for, <laughs> sorry, I'm not gonna. 
Oh, I have an MFA. The idea that there are these prophecies um, that the Time Lords hold a great amount of faith in. Mm -hmm. And that when the Doctor walks in to have this conversation with them, he makes the man say... Like, he won't accept the argument that some prophecies say this. He will only accept the argument that all prophecies say that there's this whole conversation where he says, no, no, well, all right. He's, the general is dissembling about mm -hmm. what this is. And mm -hmm. they're saying, oh, some of these prophecies say, no, it's not some, it's all of them. Mm -hmm. And it's vague, but it's, it's you know. <sighs> he ultimately starts quibbling about details because, of course, he's the one who heard or who originated the idea of the hybrid or whatever. But like, uh, how to, to me, you then kind of run into why? Are they, why is the doctor the one? Like, what is yeah. the doctor's? And this is kind of like again, <laughs> if you're gonna bring up the hybrid, mm -hmm. let's talk about the hybrid. You've been teasing hybrids. Like, hybrid mm -hmm. has been a word that we keep coming back to all season. Mm -hmm. Different kind of hybrids, and I get like, okay, you're just kind of using it as a word. You know, this mm -hmm. is our theme. This is what we're doing. But do something with it, right? Like, and and ultimately, it's just a MacGuffin, and that's fine. It's just a MacGuffin. I don't know if it's a MacGuffin. I don't know if it's, you know, where they're going to be launching off future ideas. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel... Well, remember when the well name of the Doctor, like the Doctor's name was this like eternal secret of the universe that nobody could, you know... Yeah, and nothing came of that. And nothing came of that. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I probably shouldn't get my hopes up for anything. But the idea that the hybrid of warrior nations can be any two warrior nations coming together in any kind of form. Um, that kind of rereading of a kind of religious text in context. If they had actually had that conversation and recognized what they were like talking about, and the idea is that the Time Lords are ultimately just afraid of their society ending, and maybe it should end and all societies end, I mean, Mia's sitting there watching the stars go out, and she's like, it's beautiful and sad. And, you know, for me, this story is more, like, Mia's the most interesting character development, still. There's a lot of, so, beyond my kind of complaints mm -hmm. about the politics of, of this story, and the fact that it's just, all the interesting politics of uh, Face the Raven yeah. were just kind of completely dropped. Totally dropped. Um, there, there's no interest in that at all. Like, Moffat just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. Um, that's fine. He doesn't that's have to. Even if we make it about the Doctor and Clara and losing Clara and that sort of thing and the me character, I certainly for me, I think that there's there's been a lot of discussion of like me is only sitting there and watching Star like she's billions or trillions of years old at the end like she's mm -hmm. standing at the end of the universe sort of thing. I personally don't think that you have to read it that way. I kind of read it more as like she's functionally immortal. She's a few thousand years old. Mm -hmm. At some point, I mean, she's got access. She's talking to the Time Lords in 21st century London. Mm -hmm. She's obviously at some point gets access to time travel technology or space travel technology. Well, we see her get a TARDIS. I mean, we see her get a TARDIS. At, I mean, at the end, certainly, mm -hmm. you know. This, but you know, there's no, there's no reason to assume that like she doesn't essentially just once she reaches kind of modernity of of 21st century Earth or 24th century Earth or whatever, that she doesn't just get on a spaceship and go travel. Yeah, like, well, like, yeah, no, and I totally get that, but I think what I like about me is you have this kind of 
And I know this is what Moffat is trying to do. He's making it very clear. You have this almost kind of more perfect foil for the Doctor than the Master. Mm -hmm. Because the Master's all about chaos. But me isn't chaotic, necessarily. She's Mm -hmm. more about, we find the best way to make make do with what we have. And the primary difference between me and the Doctor is that the Doctor remembers a shielder and me doesn't. You know, the doctor has this breadth of memory and me has an objective view of her own history. Me is essentially, oh, and I mean, talking about storytelling. So yeah. I like this idea. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring on this yeah. forward a minute. You know, we've gotten four, four different stories with me in it. Mm-hmm. You know, me is portrayed as, as this long lived character who knows of her life through the stories that she has told about herself. And so she doesn't, her, her history is written. Her history is not remembered. And so And me therefore is kind has of a very allegory. biased narr- narrator. <laughs> well, me is, a, me is a, uh, a narrative about history. Me is a character who represents sort of human history. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting idea. Totally. Man, and, I wish that had been in this story. <laughs> right? And so you have these moments that are just beautiful and... There is so much potential for more to be going on. And I saw that as like, a, oh man, maybe next series would be really cool. But you're right. No, it's probably not. They're probably not going to talk about this at all. The idea of this is probably the big point they were made, waiting to make all season. Of, you know, what is a hybrid? We're all hybrids. When we come together, we create a hybrid. Like, woo, did I just blow your mind? I mean, it's so much like, we've just kind of landed on this point. Of and this is this is kind of the fundamental thing about about just kind of the way that Moffat approaches writing Doctor Who is that there just is no context. You know, it's all about the twist at the end. It's all about the Doctor's the hybrid, maybe, or a shielder me is the hybrid, maybe, and it's all about like teasing us with like who's the hybrid, as opposed to like giving us the hybrid and then building consequences onto that. Yeah, you know, you know, so what. The, the hybrid is going to stand in the dust of the city. Okay, does that mean that that's just because they're going to be the last one standing? Exactly. Like that, it, you know, the, the Time Lords are interpreting it as like, oh, the, this being is going to show up and then destroy Gallifrey and stand mm-hmm. in the ruins, as opposed to long, long, long in the future when everything is ruins, they just have to be standing there. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting version of like the idea of prophecy of like fulfillment of prophecy versus mm-hmm. you know kind of the way that we interpret things and like um Moffat does like to play with language, and I think that there are some mm-hmm. some fairly clever things that are going on with language there, and I don't hate heaven sent or hell bent you know I, no, I, I just think it's just kind of it just it drops the it's unfulfilled potential yes know? and that's and that's generally like my kind of issue with this series is. I liked a lot of it, but there was a lot of it that I thought was setting me up for something that I would have been even happier about that then just kind of didn't happen. I think ultimately, I mean, I'm kind of wrapping up a little bit here, mm-hmm. but I think we can we can talk a little bit more about kind of Clara's ending and some other stuff if you want. Ultimately, where I land is Sleep No More should just go away. Or if you're going to tell that story, tell the whole story because mm-hmm. it, it is it ends on a cliffhanger of like, and now the Sandmen are going to go off and take over the, the solar system. But then we never get that back. Apparently, there's talk about Mark Gatiss writing a sequel to it, you know, like maybe whatever. So you can just get rid of that entirely, put Face the Raven over two stories, over two episodes, kind of get rid of Heaven Sent, and then make the the Return to Gallifrey a two-part story. 
But the way Moffat writes two-parters is it's kind of two stories that are connected by this kind of twist in the middle sort of thing. And well, so they had to be, you can't just tell one story over two episodes. What I would have really liked, honestly, would have had to, like two episodes that go back and forth in time. Because I actually liked the surrealness of Clara and the diner and the doctor not knowing what's going on. And if you kind of were to intersperse that throughout, and instead of having her and a shielder possibly going on their own, actually, you know, I don't even have an issue with that. I want to watch that show instead of Dr. Doom. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that Clara ultimately has to go back to that one point and die. Um, I'm okay with all of that. If we had brought some of that surrealism and that questioning, what really is immortality? Is it a heartbeat? Is it standing in the ashes when everything's done? Is it, Mm -hmm. I think there could have been a really interesting way to weave the stories together so that they, they actually, um, feel like they're kind of commenting on each other. Um, but instead I think the order they're in makes them feel like each point just undercuts the point that was just previously made. Um, I really think that there's this huge missed opportunity with, okay, so Rassilon, um, is, you know, dead, uh, or exiled, exiled. Um, and instead of, there's no way Rassilon is not coming back at some point in the future. Well done. Um, but we have this new commander who is a black woman. That's probably something we should talk about. And who is working with the tribe of older women immortals. The Sisterhood of Karn. The Sisterhood of Karn, thank you. Sorry, Shanna has the same brand of Morbius, so yes. uh, we're going to correct that sometime in 2016, don't worry. Yeah. Um, and you have this immediate comment on how being a man in that society, like, as soon as you are no longer a man in that society, you're like, God, I was spouting so much bullshit why didn't anybody stop me how did how did you deal with how do you deal with all that ego yeah which and it's it's moffat doing his gender essentialist thing I mean, it's, it's just, well it's 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 both a gender essentialist thing but again it could have been a potential to say well i lived as an old white guy for a long time and now i am a black woman and I can immediately see the difference in society. Like, that could have been a conversation even, but no. We just are going to glance over that because gender essentialism and blah, blah, I, blah. I do, I do think that that's because there has been this very vocal kind of segment of fandom that uh-huh. just will not accept that Time Lords can change race and gender and that the Doctor could hypothetically change race and gender. Uh-huh. I, I, I will kind of say that that's probably Moffat actually just saying, fuck you, Time Lords can change race and gender, this is going to happen. I'm gonna. I'll give him. I'll give him some credit and say, yeah. like, you know, it it just isn't gonna be the doctor because pff, I, uh, who I, could I, who could identify with the doctor if he wasn't a white guy? I, I think, but dude, that's doctor, totally. I think the thirteenth doctor will either be a woman or a person of color. Or yeah, but I, I don't think that's gonna happen until Stephen Moffat's gone. I, well, well, but I, anyways, I, I suspect, moving on, moving on, moving on. That's the way it's going to have to happen. Moving um, on. What do you think about the doctor just outright shooting a guy in the face? When does he shoot a guy in the face? The regeneration of the general from the white guy into the black woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, the doctor takes the, the, the phaser or whatever, takes the, the laser gun from the dude. Oh. And then he says, well, how many, you know, how many regenerations do you have left or mm-hmm. whatever? And then just shoots him in the face. I think, I think he kind of 
there does kind of feel like a, okay, I don't like you. You're not doing well. You need a serious attitude adjustment and re regeneration is an option. I don't know how I feel about that because I really don't think it was discussed in this episode what that like <sighs> means in Time Lord society. Like, is that kind of accepted? I mean, they, they act like it is. They, over the head con, they're like, Dude, generation going on right now. Give us a second, you know. I, but this isn't how the Doctor has approached his own regenerations in the past. No. I mean... So it feels like a very big perspective change, and I don't know why. I mean, if it is like, oh, well, he's a high-up Time Lord within the, on Gallifrey. Yeah. And therefore, he just gets as many regenerations as he wants, so it doesn't really matter. Or is that because, hey, you know... You were the Dick Cheney to Rassilon's bush. You need to die too, or be I guess, exiled. I mean, I mean, there's a lot that's just I don't I don't feel like we can talk to because we didn't get more story around it. Yeah, no, I just for me, I mean, and it isn't like unprecedented. Doctor uses a gun, mm -hmm. but it's almost unprecedented. Uh, I, I, mean, I think it's... my issue is not only is it the doctor using a gun it's the doctor using an, a, gu a gun in an episode where they just talked about you will know the doctor because he will be the one standing without the gun and a whole bunch of army dudes just set down their guns um so specifically it does feel disingenuous however the fact that it is he's part of the revolution and you know the way that revolutions happen is you got to kill somebody or at least change uh, yeah, I mean, somebody. You know, uh, like, there's just so much story that is missing here for me to be able to really understand that context. Um, and it's not like, because I haven't seen enough classic who even, it's, I think they're alluding to a lot of Time Lord society that um, hasn't really been discussed. And I think that that's why some people are going to, some people are going to Big Finish stuff to kind of justify Moffat's writing, it's like, well... You know, the the Big Finish audios and the novels have a lot... There's a lot of, like, stuff about the Time Lords that mm -hmm. kind of exists in that area mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily canon, but it's also not necessarily not. And, you know, they kind of have taken a little bit from here and there. And this is an area in which I'm, I'm kind of frankly ignorant of a lot of it. Like, mm -hmm. like, exactly what happened in the New Adventures novels and, you know, exactly how the Time Lord background in Gallifrey and world building stuff gets handled in some of the extraneous material and mm -hmm. honestly I don't really care about a lot of it you know but I do think that the idea of having the doctor just pull out a gun and shoot somebody and then not really remark on it beyond you know yeah it is is problematic in terms of like the way we're treating this character it's yeah especially especially again, to earlier do it in the episode solely to save this one girl you know like his whole point and it's not I mean the tenth doctor finally picks up a gun in the end of time in order to, like, save humanity, essentially, and, like, get rid of the Time Lords again. Mm -hmm. This isn't this isn't that, and I, I don't know. I, I kind of, I it's something that people were talking about, so I thought we should bring it up. I understand why people are talking about it, but at the same time, this was my entire conversation about Amy and Rory. Why them? Well, he gets connected with them with River, too, but why them? <laughs> uh, why Clara, suddenly? Why... Going through Classic Who and seeing how so many of the companions have left and how it was an amicable thing and how it was a, like, you know, I'm done with TARDIS life. 
Uh, it's time we go our separate ways. There's not a negative. There's not someone dying. Um, but if people die, they die. I'm just, for me, it's just like, if you're gonna kill her, then just kill her. You yeah. know, and, and don't, don't treat it this way. And I, like, and that's just, I'm sorry. That's just kind of, we've been watching um, Next Generation uh, mm-hmm. lately. And remember Tasha Yar dies mm-hmm. in season one of Star mm-hmm. Trek Next Generation? And it's a random away team mission. There's a blob of black tar, essentially. The sentient blob of black tar that, like, shoots her. And she's dead. And they do a memorial service, and they revisit it occasionally. They kind of bring her back a little bit in some later episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's but, dead. But she's she's gone. Mm-hmm. And, know, da- and, and it is her just, like, data just... mourning her is used to prove data's humanist. And that's the thing is, I there needs to be some sort of finality to death. And even though you can still say, okay, well, Claire's death is a fixed point in time. She dies there, but. But effectively, she 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 gets to go on and have adventures, and it is that sense of like having its cake and eating it too. There is this, you know, and and neither one really works because she dies. She made the decision to die to mm-hmm. to face her death with you know dignity, mm-hmm. but she's not really doing that anymore. You know, she's going off. She's doing her her own thing because the doctor meddled. And I mean, I'm not saying I would even make a different decision than her put in that situation. For me, it's solely on the part of the the like mm-hmm. the writing team and. We can put it on Moffat if you want. We can put it on whoever. Just fundamentally not wanting to make that decision. Um, and and that's hard for me. But like I said, if we had had this whole thing, this I liked the surrealness of him going back to the diner in Nevada or Utah. Nevada, yeah. No, I I like the I like and the diner. I think if that surrealness and that kind of existential almost tone um, that gets kind of hit on while he's in that diner if that had been present more throughout this kind of questioning of why is he making these choices i think more of that would have made the difference for me it's it i think ultimately and this is kind of where i mean moffat's season finales in general kind of it feels both overstuffed with stuff but ultimately under content in terms of actual like meaning in terms of there's actually some kind of connective tissue like like it's it, it feels very flashy it feels like we're moving through a lot of different stuff that i would love to explore more mm-hmm. and i don't know i feel like that's just the hallmark of moffat's writing i feel like he doesn't want to slow down enough to really give us a chance to and yet we get this like extended sequence of you know, i mean um hellbent is actually i think 10 or 15 minutes longer than an ordinary episode hmm. um you actually get like an extended sequence of um you know, kind of Clara, and you get this long conversation that they have, and it's a brilliant conversation, mm-hmm. and there are some brilliant debates about, like, what they're going to do, and I, I think it's well acted, it's well executed, it's just kind of, it doesn't mean anything to me, because it's just about the character and mm-hmm. not about anything else, and I don't know. Like, Yeah, if they had connected it to something bigger, it would have been better. So, um, one more thought just before we kind of wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about Clara's legacy or Jenna Coleman's legacy on the series? You know, do you want to talk to that? And kind of, how do you how do you feel about Clara Escapade now that we've seen everything that she's done? I, you know, I think Clara has been fine as a companion. I just think she's been the most fucked around with ever. Like I thought they couldn't do worse than Amy being pregnant and not knowing it. 
Like, that was pretty fucked up to do to a person. Uh, I think, I honestly, I think that's even worse. I, I mean, that to me is the, like, Nadir of, like, the new series. Is the, yeah. You know. Uh, they, but, you know, they, instead of making a woman pregnant and not knowing it and just completely objectifying all that situation, just killing her off a few hundred times and... You know, giving her agency. <laughs> they kind of, they kind of come out. I think it's six. I think six is the actual number. But you know, they allude to many more. She shattered throughout. Oh, the shattered. Well, the whole Clara, the Clara docs thing, as JB Anderton says. You know, of, of like she didn't go into the yes. The so or whatever. not counting the Clara docs. I mean, she 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 has left or almost left many times. Jenna Coleman has, based on you know whether you're actually talking about Clara or not, mm-hmm. Clara calls. Last Christmas was going to be her last story, and then it wasn't, and then she kind of said goodbye at the end of um, Death in Heaven, but then she mm-hmm. came back, and I mean, now now she's actually gone. Like, it's 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 done. But it does kind of, I mean, we've spent a lot of time saying goodbye to Jenna Coleman in this show. Yeah, I and mean, I, I, there have been some really nice moments, but because we have spent so much time saying bye to her, I think she has spent a lot of time with just big teary brown eyes and is she adorable yes am i looking forward to her getting more acting to do in the future absolutely um i think as a companion the writing is really weird i have no issues with clara the companion i think clara the companion is really interesting um having this be the end of her story arc um, because she has, I mean, she knows how to deal with death better than Moffat does at this point. Well, I mean, well, I'm not going to say that was me, but I was going to say something mean, but I'm not going to. Um, you know, where, where I, I like Clara as a companion. I think she, she kind of has become one of my favorite new series companions, quite honestly. Um, I don't know where you're getting that. I, I love the way that she interacts with the Doctor. I love, in, in like, Series 9. I love the, yes. the, the characterization that she has. I love that we've gotten this depth of characterization. I think Bossy Control Freak is, like, the absolute worst way of describing her. I mean, you know, well, like, I think and that's I think, ridiculous and misogynistic, but, you know. Yeah, but the queer baitiness and the, uh, like... We didn't even talk about that, did we? But, you know, no, we're, like, we're gonna let that go. She has other issues with her character that... Anyway, I, I just... It's hard to talk to Clara about Clara as like a character in the big. I think my thing with Clara is series seven is kind of pointless in terms of even talking about her. I think that really we get once she becomes once we get the school teacher once we you know at the beginning of like time of the doctor kind of at the during around the fiftieth anniversary she becomes a much more cohesive and coherent character and I kind of buy that version of Clara a lot more. If we skip the caretaker episode. Well, I mean, even including the caretaker bits, including, I mean, it's just she was in a really bad threesome relationship for a year, and then uh, kind of moved on once once her, her boyfriend died. She, I mean, she kind of gets reckless, she gets, she kind of goes off, she immerses herself in, in this other thing. I mean, I, I buy her as a character, I love the dynamic she has with some of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jenna Coleman is a phenomenal actress. Has she been mishandled and mistreated by some of the writing and some of the writers? Absolutely, no question. Um, and that's why I kind of feel like it's hard for me to say she's one of my favorite. When she's good, she's phenomenal. Let's just put it that way. When she's good, she's really good. But I, I don't, I don't know that I'd say phenomenal. I think you think she's really cute. I I loved her in the just the basically when Jamie Matheson gets to write her, I think she's amazing. 
I mean, I hate to put it that simply, but I, I really am kind of on that on that. You board. like her when she's she gets to be sassy. Well, when she actually gets good writing and she actually gets to kind of be written properly, and um, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of where I land on on Clara. I felt like I felt like we should at least try to like sum up Clara a little bit. But uh, you know, we're I, too close to it. I'm too close to it. Definitely, okay. I need we'll I need a, more time to kind of like sit and feel about the general oof. We'll do a Series 9 recap in a couple of months and, you know, kind of talk about some of the stuff in some more detail. But So, yeah, I guess that's it. We uh, covered a lot of stuff today. Yeah, um, I am kind of looking forward to the Christmas episode. You all know I have mixed feelings about River Song, but this actually sounds like the first River Song story I might like, based on what I'm hearing. It, it sounds like it's just going to be... I mean... It's going to be a Moffat Christmas special, which are light and fluffy mm -hmm. and don't really mean anything and don't really have any connection to anything. Um, it sounds like that the pairing, like the way Moffat's going to decide to write, like now that now that we don't have a young guy involved, we can do kind of like, it feels like he's trying to go for like a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers almost kind of dynamic, like this sort of like, uh, yeah. you know, um, old school Hollywood kind of vibe. It, it, I, I don't know. I, it's, I think Alex Kingston and Peter Capaldi I'm looking forward to seeing them together. I never liked her with Eleven because he just came off as too dumb about it and too weird about well, sex and romance in general. Yeah. You know, Moffat now has an older man doctor, so he can treat him like an older man. Uh, I And I am interested to see this doctor that has been more alien, but has just learned a lot about himself, what that looks like in a funny romp with his wife and her other husband, apparently. Um, and of course they've alluded to that. Of course, as polyamorous people, we, we kind of respond to that a little bit, and they kind of like, I'm interested to see how terrible this is going to be, Stephen Moffat. Yeah, um, and I um, mean, it could be terrible, but in still a funny way. It could be, you know... I'm not, I, I'm just kind I of... I never get my hopes up, but... It's, it's going to be here in like three weeks, not even three weeks, and we're going to get to watch it, and it's, you know... Oh my gosh, 2015, where did you go? Yeah, so I I, I think that this was an interesting to wrap up this series. Um, I kind of feel about it the same way I did as the rest of the series, of just series nine being like, yay, aw, yay, aw. <laughs> like, but overall, I really liked the direction. I really liked the ideas that were brought up. I just wished we had gotten some more depth. Fair enough. All right. Next week, we're actually going to bring back our uh, one of our favorite guests who, you know, kind of gets to be the uh, the person that is almost always the third person in the room when we're recording, um, in the spirit anyway. Uh, Jack Graham's going to join us, and we're going to talk about Planet of the Ood. Planet of the Ood! Which I think is your all-time favorite New Who story? It is, um, I say that, but they alternate, but yes. It is one of my absolute favorite New Who stories. Um, it is one of those ones that uh, gave me all the feels, and I probably saw at the right time in my life, etc. Uh, but that is a standout of just yes for me. Yeah, So, and it's going to be great to only have to watch 45 minutes of television to record a podcast this time instead of watching four hours twice, which we did for this episode. So, you know, yay! Yeah, and I've already watched Planet of of the Ood recently just because when we chose it, I was like, I'm just going to sit down and watch it. Yeah. No, this is one we revisit pretty regularly, so this is going to so, be a fun one. Hope. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
So Unless uh, I get in a fight with Jack. You both love it. It's going to be fun. Okay. Um, so next week, Planet of the Ood. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, look forward to that. Uh, anything that you guys want to hear us kind of talk about about Series 9? Anything we missed? Anything with these four episodes? Um, send in questions or comments because yeah. we're, I mean, we're, I'm definitely kind of prepping to do like a Series 9 recap at some point. And, and I, I want to kind of cover stuff we missed, you know. And I, I'm looking to catch up on some blog posts where I know people have talked about, um, the end of this series as a defense of Moffat. Um, I'm hopefully going to read those and, and have something to say about them. But if you are one of those people who do feel that way, feel free to email us or message us too. I'd love to hear your personal sentiment. Yep. And uh, hopefully next year we're going to get some people on the podcast to, to like Moffat more than we do. So mm-hmm. that'll be that'll be fun too. So, All right, next week, Planet of the Ood. Check it out. Listen to our theme song. Um, till then, the TARDIS is closed. Our theme music is Doctor Who Theme on Minimoog by James Bragg. Find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hyperdust7 and his website at phoenix-flare.com. Daniel is also a regular host of the They Must Be Destroyed on Site movie podcast, which you can find at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all Oi Spaceman episodes on iTunes or at our website oispaceman.libsyn.com and our podcast blog is at oispaceman.wordpress.com. You can email us at oispacemanpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, and you can find our individual Twitter accounts at Daniel Lee Harper and Inkyosa. That's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. Comments and questions, welcome.
Ooh.